Back in high school, I had a Catholic girlfriend. She was very involved with her local congregation, serving as cantor and as a CCD teacher. CCD is basically Sunday school for Catholics. One session they were discussing prayer for the dead, and as you might know, Catholics encourage prayer for the dead. During the lesson, she asked the class, why do we pray for the dead? Then there was a long pause, and then a student said, so they don't come back? <laughs> the kid was on to something. <laughs> Few things have as much pop cultural import as reanimated dead. You've seen the movies and TV and books lately. There's something about us that is deeply fascinated with the, with the idea that the dead refuse to stay dead. Perhaps that's why our belief in the resurrection of the dead creates such a visceral response in folks sometimes. You say resurrection and people automatically think zombies. But that's not what resurrection is at all. Resurrection is not the mere resuscitation of a corpse. And that isn't what Ezekiel has in mind. In fact, Ezekiel isn't thinking about individual resurrection at all. Ezekiel is thinking about the revitalization, the restoration of a people. A little background. Ezekiel is a later contemporary of Jeremiah. Like Jeremiah, he is from Judah and born into a priestly family. Also like Jeremiah, he engages in bizarre behavior to make a point. Maybe kind of like eating dry macaroni. That's pretty bizarre, but no, Ezekiel does some things that are even more bizarre than that. One of his most memorable acts, Ezekiel lies on his left side for 390 days. 390 days. And then on his right for 40 days to symbolize the years of Israel and Judah's punishment. While eating a weird kind of bread baked over dung. But one thing that makes Ezekiel different from Jeremiah are his visions. And what visions these are. They include a vision of God's throne room and the heavenly armies there. The divine presence leaving the temple due to the people's idolatry. The destruction of Israel's enemies. The restoration of the temple. And this vision here in chapter 37 of a valley filled with dry bones. It's pretty clear what the vision means. The nation is dead. And not just dead, but long dead. So dead, their bones have no moisture left. God's people at this point are either scattered, exiled, assimilated, or dead. The temple is destroyed. The monarchy is finished. David no longer has a descendant on the throne. It's hard to overstate the magnitude of this disaster to, for Israel's self-image and its theological imagination. To have hope was the height of absurdity. But that's exactly what God calls Ezekiel to do, to embrace the absurd. God's hand picks Ezekiel up and takes him to the Valley of the Dry Bones. And after God leads Ezekiel all around the dry bones of the valley, God asks a question that seems to have an obvious answer. Human, can these bones live? 
Well, of course not. They can't live. They're dead. But Ezekiel doesn't say the obvious answer. He just responds, Lord, you know. Only God knows if the impossible is possible. So God tells Ezekiel to do something perhaps more ridiculous than lying on his side for 430 days. He tells Ezekiel to preach to the bones. Preach to the bones. Preach to these long, dead, desiccated, dusty old bones. Preach to these bones that can't see, can't hear, can't perceive in any way. Tell them God's word. God will make them live. And again, rather than protest, instead of relying on mere sense and reason, Ezekiel embraces the absurd and does what he's asked to do. But he's not done. The bones have come together, recovered with skin and sinew, but they're lacking a vital element of life. So God has another task for Ezekiel. Preach to the wind! Even better. Now, to the, for the preacher sometimes, it can occasionally seem like one is talking into the wind, but this is just ridiculous. Not you all, of course. But this, you know, preach to the wind, talk to the wind, Ezekiel. The wind that goes where it wants to, that's totally independent from the beck and call of human beings. The wind that animated the first human being in the garden, preach to that wind. And again, Ezekiel suspends his disbelief and does as he is asked. And these bones live. In the vision, the whole people of Israel, northern and southern tribes, those long scattered, assimilated and exiled, are revitalized. Their their identity as people of God is restored. Today, we are constantly hit over the head by fears of the future of the church. For my entire ministry career, and now we're at about 12 years, I've heard the same anxious refrain, we're dying, we're declining, there's no hope. And though COVID hasn't helped, I wonder if this constant mantra of we're dying hasn't, create, hasn't taught us to be helpless. That we can't do anything, so why bother trying? Now, I know that the situation in the world, pandemic, all of this is pretty energy sapping. It sapped my energy sometimes. It's easy to sink into a why bother kind of rut. But the fact is, is that God calls us to embrace the absurd. As God called Ezekiel to embrace it even if it feels like we're dying, even if it feels like we're long dead, even if it feels like there's no future. God calls us to be proclaimers, to be preachers, to be prophets of the gospel, to preach to the bones of the church that seem long dead, and trust that God can and does bring the dust of what was back to life. That God can and does bring revitalization, restoration, and resurrection. It is true that God does everything to revitalize and restore, 
God does it all. But God is determined to be in partnership with human beings. God is determined to be in partnership with us. God is so determined that God calls us to do the absurd, to proclaim and live out the gospel of life, even when it seems like there are only dry bones around us. God, it seems, has a fondness for the absurd. After all, God in Christ undergoes the indignity of a human birth. God in Christ is born to an unwed young mother, nursed and rocked to sleep. God in Christ grows up not in a palace, but in a backwater village. God in Christ learns his father's trade and then embarks on a preaching and healing tour with 12 men who, to be blunt, are not the sharpest crowns in the box. They're not. This ministry reaches its apex in Jerusalem, where God in Christ is arrested and crucified. His followers, except notably for the women, scatter. On the surface, an ignoble and ignominious end to a yet another would-be Messiah. And yet, that Messiah is raised. God in Christ is raised from the dead when hope seems lost, when all the prophet, all the disciples and Jesus' followers saw were, were dry, dusty bones all around them. God in Christ was raised. And in his resurrection, we as God's people are given a sure and certain future, a sure and certain hope. This is true no matter how dry and dusty the bones of the church seem to get sometimes. It doesn't matter. The promise is sure. This is true for us individually as people transformed into Christ, as well as for us as a community of faith. No matter what happens, God in Christ has us. The Spirit will continue to breathe new life into the church. What it will look like, we don't know. It won't look like what came before. But in the Spirit, the church will be the locus of new life. Remember what Christ told Peter and the rest of the disciples. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of death will not prevail against it. So embrace the absurd. Let's proclaim and live out the gospel of life in the face of fear, hopelessness, and death, in the face of all of those messages that would just have us embrace helplessness. Because in Christ, life is our destiny. Let us pray. Lord God, in the face of fear, despair, and death, help us to be your partners and to proclaim the gospel of life. Sweep away our anxieties and root us in him who brings life to the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.